Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Hi, good morning. Such a wonderful uh, time that we're going to have together with the Word of God. Uh, So glad you can join us this morning. Uh, This week has been an interesting week, isn't it? With the easing of the lockdown across the nation, we see restaurants, cafe coming back, and uh, best of all, we are able to have friends over at our place now. Uh, Personally, I wish that the easing uh, would happen two weeks ago, because two weeks ago, I celebrated my 40th, and um, nevertheless, I had such a blessed time with my family. Uh, one week leading up to my birthday, my wife, Akina, came up with this great idea of baking the birthday cake with the girls. So we have three wonderful girls, uh, Angela, she's five, Audrey, she's three, and Chloe, she's turning one next, this coming Tuesday. And the girls were super excited uh, when they learned of the idea of baking a cake for daddy's birthday. The only thing was... Uh, Audrey, she still hasn't quite got the days of the week down yet. So every morning at breakfast table, Audrey would ask me with a smile, Daddy, are you 40 today? Is it your birthday today? And that went for for quite some time, and I thought, okay, it was cute at first, but uh, I'm not sure I'm ready to to welcome my 40 just yet. So I uh, told Audrey, uh, no, Daddy's birthday is next week on Monday. So today is Thursday, followed by Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So could you please stop asking me, is it my birthday, okay? And Audrey said, okay, Daddy. So the next morning, I was pretty impressed when at the breakfast table, Audrey did not mention anything about my birthday. Uh, just when I was about to start my breakfast, Audrey looked at me across the table. With a smile, she asked, Daddy, is today Monday? So, very cute. Um, And we got to the day, one day before my birthday, Sunday, right? So Akina, uh, together with the girls, prepared this cake, put it into the oven. 15 minutes later, she came running back to me and said, Josh, we have a situation. Our oven is not working. I'm like, what? You mean our oven? The, the oven that never stops, never stops working is not working? And she said, yes. So I rushed to the oven, did everything I could, and indeed, it's not heating up, it's broken down. So when I share this sad news with the girls, I could see the face of disappointment as though a cloud of gloom had settled over them. And I said, oh dear, it's not going to be a good day. And it was during this time, at this time, Akina came up with this amazing idea of baking the cake using our rice cooker. So you see, we have a Japanese rice cooker we got from Japan, and apparently there is a cake mold. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? A cake mold in a rice cooker. We give it a go, and we were surprised with the results. So I ended up having a wonderful birthday with a birthday cake, um, so blessed is the man whose wife bakes cake with the rice cooker. 
I believe that's somewhere in Proverbs. And speaking of which, uh, today, this morning's message, we will continue our series on pathways looking at wisdom from the book of Proverbs. While I was reflecting on the uh, series of Proverbs, uh, I find myself during this time, especially during the lockdown, asking questions like, what does it mean to have a good life? What does it mean to have rest, to have joy, to have peace during this time? And Akina shared with me this amazing verse from Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Or in the King James Version, he will not be visited by evil, which I personally prefer because we know in life, uh, sometimes we find ourselves in harm's way. So I ask the question, really, uh, what does wisdom say we should do when we are in trouble or when things do not turn out the way we want it to be? I'd like to title the message for the message today, Just Tell Me What to Do. I'd like to venture a little bit beyond Proverbs and just have a look at biblical wisdom as a whole across the Bible. What does the Bible say about our response when we are in times of need, when we are uh, in times of adversity? Would you please, if you have your Bibles with you, or you can follow the text on screen, turn to Acts, book, book of Acts, chapter 16. Now, just a little bit of context on, on the text that we are about to engage here. So, uh, we are following Paul and Silas in their missionary journey in the city or town of Philippi. And in their missionary uh, time there, Paul and Silas met a slave girl who was possessed by a spirit that allowed her to do some sort of fortune-telling, and she was earning a lot of money for her master. Um, but the problem was the slave girl who was possessed by the spirit was following Paul everywhere he went for days, and she was shouting, look at this man, they are the true messenger of God, they know the way to salvation. And Paul got so annoyed that in Jesus' name, he cast out the spirit in that woman. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. Hey, why do that? Because she's doing free publicity for, for you guys. Now, we have to understand, like, uh, this was pre-social media time. So, uh, it's not like Facebook or Twitter when you can follow or unfollow a person quite easily. When we say, I am a follow of someone, someone, during the biblical times, it literally means physically following the person 24-7. Now, I wouldn't recommend that because in our times, that's called stalking. So uh, it's important at that time because Paul was, and Silas was on a missionary trip. Uh, they do not want to be seen as be part of this or uh, belong to the same group as this uh, uh, slave girl. So Paul cast up the spirit in this girl and led them into trouble. We, we pick up the action from verse 19, Acts chapter 16, verse 19. When the owners of the slave girl 
realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating uh, customs unlawful for us Romans to accept our practice. Verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now I was looking in Google, what is this stocks? Apparently it's a large piece of log wood uh, with holes on the floor just uh, for your feet to be locked in. So on top of being pushed into the inner part of the prison, Paul and Silas were were locked or chained to the ground. They were sitting on the cold, hard prison floor. And this is their response, and it's amazing. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. That is amazing. Like, after being beaten, stripped in prison, and chained to the, to the ground, that the response that Paul and Silas gave was worship. I mean, they were having a jam session in the middle of the night. I know what you, some of you guys are thinking. Uh, a jam session without the backing vocals? Keys or drums? Yeah, they're having it. Uh, a private karaoke session, you might call it. And, and verse 26. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Talk about the fastest prison break in history. Uh, the, now the jailer walked out and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's, it's funny, isn't it? Just moments ago, the jailer was about to kill himself, and now he's asking, what must he do to be saved? And we're following the story. Verse 31, they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then I spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Immediately, he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them uh, into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he has come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Now, as we, as we go further down into the, uh, the rest of the chapters, we, we discover there is a twist. Who, who likes plot twists? Right, I, I love it. Like, uh, so the next day, the magistrates uh, asked the jailer to tell that Paul and Silas were free to go. Uh, but, but then Paul and Silas say, no, we, this is preposterous because we are actually Roman citizens. Now that, that is a big deal because you are not allowed to imprison a Roman citizen without giving him a proper court trial. And just we pick up in verses 38. 
the officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. Wow, wow. Talk about a scandalous plot twist there. So all this while, Paul and Silas had a get-out-of-jail card, but they did not use it. Uh, it became apparent to me as I read the passage that Paul and Silas willingly, perhaps, chose to go into the prison to bear witness for Jesus. And, and I want to just go back and have a look at the response and how, how they responded to this treatment of being in prison. So, Acts chapter 16, verse 25 say, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and they were not quiet about it because we know all the prisoners were listening to them. Uh, I just want to encourage uh, those of us who are listening today, uh, three things that we can be encouraged about when you are faced uh, with adversity. The first thing is this, you are not alone. So where just like Paul had Silas, Silas had Paul. Uh, it's likely that during this time of lockdown, some of us will be going through some difficult times, perhaps due to loss of jobs, loss of income, uh, perhaps as well, we are struggling of, due to loneliness. But let me assure you that God knows your struggles and He would have placed in your life someone who perhaps would go, are going through a similar condition and he or she can support you. You can journey together. You are not alone. And the second thing is this. When we are in trouble or when we find ourselves down in life, our response can be, and should be, worship. Louis Giggle, in his book, uh, Giants Must Fall, says that worship and worry cannot occupy the same space in our lips or in our hearts. And that's great news, because that means when you worship the King of Kings, the Lord of heaven and earth, we displace worry from our life. So worship is a powerful antidote to worry. And the next thing is this. When we are down and uh, we can look forward to God showing up, we can expect the unexpected. Verse 26 begins with the word, suddenly, suddenly the angel appeared to Mary. Suddenly. There are so many times in the Bible that God shows up unexpectedly, but we can expect God to do great things. Indeed, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chain came loose. Now, when I read that passage of Scripture, I was like, hang on, there, there, there must be a mistake here. Because I understand if it says Paul and Silas' chains came loose. Because after all, you know, like, there are some bad people in the prison. Like, what were God thinking, you know, like, like breaking, trying to break out the criminals? Uh, but as we read in the passage, none of the prisoners escaped. Now, as I reflect further, I, I feel the Holy Spirit telling me that this is bigger 
than just freedom from the prison walls. God is trying to point the prisoners to a reality greater than the prison walls, than the reality that they knew. You know, I find it absolutely astonishing that not a single prisoner escaped. Can you imagine that, that a, a person, a prisoner, supposedly incarcerated for a very long time, what do you think would be going through his head? I think he would be thinking, now how do I start digging on this hole? If I'm lucky, I'll, I'll make it up to the other side of the wall, maybe in, I don't know, five, ten years? And now, not only are the chains were gone, but the prison was, were, were all collapsed. And yet, not a single person escaped because they have come face to face with the Almighty. That night, they realized there is a reality far greater than the four walls of the prison wall. And God, the same God that Paul and Silas worship, His heart is for all mankind to be free, not just from physical chain, but spiritual chains and bondages that keep us back from having a relationship with Him. And He sent His Son Jesus to free mankind. And when in Jesus' early ministry, He went back to His hometown, and during one of the session, teaching sessions in the synagogue or temple, He took a scroll from uh, the Old Testament uh, prophet uh, Isaiah, and he read it out. And let me just go to that verse. Uh, Jesus read this, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 21, Upon finishing this reading, this uh, Isaiah, this scripture, Jesus said it to the crowd. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Jesus just dropped a bomb there. He's saying that the, the prophecy Isaiah prophesied about a savior, a, a, a Messiah, and Jesus said, I am that person. I am he who was set all captives free. Now, for those of you listening today, if you are struggling with fear, worry, doubt, anxiety, addiction, unforgiveness, Jesus wants to set you free today, this morning. I don't know about you, but you know, like in, during this lockdown period, I sometimes find myself uh, restless it creeps up on me unexpectedly. Uh, I, would, you know, I would be pondering about what will happen post-COVID-19. Do I still have a job? What's going to happen to my kids? What's happened homeschooling? And, and, and I find myself as well trying to do stuff, fill up my time with things that I think would help me. Uh, have you noticed recently on social media, there are so many ads like, just the other day I saw on Facebook, would you like to learn Espanol, see? Or would you like to play the piano like Mozart or Beethoven in six weeks? Truth be told, I signed up to a couple of free courses. 
don't judge me. Uh, but you, you see, our response seems to always be to do more, to fill out the gap when we are not certain, when we are anxious, and, and we tend to do more, 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 work, work, work. But the more we gain, sometimes it seems the more empty we become. And there is this restlessness in us. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, what good would it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for the soul? Now how can someone who do, 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 work, 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 win, 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 and win and gain the whole world and yet lose? Jesus said, you will lose yourself because the more we work, do, 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 gain, 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 it becomes me, 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 more, more, more. Now in Christian context, we often talk about this concept of sin. Now sin is not just when someone commits a crime or do something bad. Sin essentially is when we say, God, thanks, but no thanks. I want it my way. Thank you. And, and Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus replied, truly, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So Jesus is saying that the more we focus on ourselves, the more we gain, the more we do, the more we work, we get trapped into this vicious cycle. We, we get more and more distant away from God. And although we worship a God, a king, a father, who loves us unconditionally, the same God is also holy and righteous, and he is a great judge, and he will judge all sin. The Bible tells us that the wages or the penalty of sin is death, eternal condemnation and separation from God, our maker, our creator. And remember Paul and Silas. Although they could have got out of prison quite easily, in fact, they could have escaped all this beating, yet they endure it to go into the prison to bear, to stand witness for the prisoners and to the jailer. And that same, same spirit of going to the darkest place, that same spirit of pursuing lost soul is reflected in Jesus, is personified in Jesus. We know the scripture tells us this. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus went to the deepest of deeps. He was tried as a criminal, though innocent, crucified, nailed to the cross, one of the cruelest forms of torture instruments of death known in history of mankind. He died in dual humiliation. He took upon him what was ours, Sin, our sin, our shame, our guilt, all our wrongs on the cross. He nailed it to the cross once and for all, put to death sin. And on the third day, he rose again and forever victorious 
over sin and death. And whoever receives Jesus, receives this forgiveness of sin. Now, I, as reading through the passage, I think most of us, upon encountering this love, this grace, this undeserved merit, would have a response perhaps similar to the jailer. We, re- we read in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 to 31. The jailer brought Paul and Silas them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. But notice, notice the question, what must I I do. The focus is still on me. What must I do? Surely there's, I, and, and this is reflected sometimes even in our believer, believer's life, where we know we have God Almighty, we have Jesus, but still we feel sometimes restless. We need to do something. We need to do good works. We need to put Jesus with our good works, with our qualifications, we have our with our knowledge, with our standing in church, with, with our reputation. And that reflects some, our human nature, the human condition that we can't stop. We think, do, do, do. It's more, more, more. You know, in, 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 a, in the Bible, uh, there was once a uh, story of how Jesus fed 5,000 adult men, more if you count the uh, women and child, uh, using just a lunchbox, five loaves of bread and a couple of fish, small fish, from a kid. And upon witnessing this great miracle, the crowd gathered around Jesus, and in John chapter 6, verse 28-29, we see this. Then they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Again, what Jesus is saying is, we have to surrender and believe that he is enough. Now, one of the most famous, I would say, uh, Bible uh, scriptures uh, regarding to be uh, a follower of Jesus uh, in rela- relating to uh, discipleship uh, is, is this. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, uh, Jesus' disciple asked him, what, what can they do? What, what does it take to be his follow- disciple? And Jesus answered. Jesus told his disciples, an- if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. This is great. It's like Jesus giving a formula, right? Like, do you want to be my follower? It's easy. It's one, two, and three. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a lot of work to me. Now, is Jesus telling us to practice self-denial? Is he telling us to get a grip of yourself? Is it telling us to have more self-control, sort yourself, sort your life out, and then to take out a cross? 
You know, during the olden days, we know the cross is a torture instrument, an instrument of death. Is Jesus implying that we need to endure a pain and suffering, tough it out, and then, and only then, we get to be called his follower? Now, to understand what Jesus is trying to say here, we need to understand the audience. So Jesus was saying, telling this to his disciples who were all Jew, Jewish men. And in the Hebrew culture or context, the word deny yourself has a very specific meaning. Now we see this word deny yourself appear twice in the Old Testament, first in Leviticus and then in Deuteronomy. Uh, when it first appeared in Leviticus, it was when God was giving the custom and laws to Moses and in relating to the Day of Atonement. So every year, there's a special day. The Jews will bring an animal sacrifice uh, to the chief priest who will then present it to the Lord. Upon the killing or spilling of blood, God will forgive the sins for that year. Okay, so this is God speaking to Moses in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 31 to 32. You shall do no work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Wherever you live, it is a day of Sabbath rest for you. And you must deny yourself. And God goes on warning the Israelites that they must do no work, else they, must be cut, they need to be cut off from this day of atonement. And God repeatedly says, you must deny yourself and do no work. So deny yourself means we are not to lean on our works. We are meant to surrender ourselves and receive the work of Jesus on the cross. And what's, what's this about taking up a cross? You know, up to that point, uh, Jesus had not gone to the cross yet. Okay, so, so the disciples would not get, why is our master or teacher telling us to carry an instrument of pain? I know there is some guys now in the world carrying a big cross around, but that's not what I think Jesus was trying to say. Paul, I believe, understood what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, hang on a minute. Like, how can Paul be crucified with Christ? Because he wasn't with Christ when Christ died on the cross. But what Paul is saying here is, he received the cross of Jesus as his own. He died with Christ on the cross. It is no longer he who lives, but Christ in him. Do you know, according to church uh, history or tradition, most of the apostles or follow, direct followers of Jesus died a, cru uh, a gruesome death by crucifixion. And according to tradition, all of them requested to be crucified upside down because for them, there is only one cross, the cross of Jesus. 
they are even in death, they were paying honor to the cross of Christ. They're considered not worthy to be compared to the Christ cross of Jesus. So when Jesus say, take up your cross, he is saying, take up his cross as your cross. So when we have fear, doubt, anxiety, uncertainty, when we feel not complete, when we are restless, we look to the cross of Jesus. Fear, look, there is my cross. Jesus' cross is my cross. He took all my sins, all my fear, all my shame, and he nailed it to the cross. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives. Friends, this morning, if you have been compelled, if you say, I, I, I want a life of freedom, I want to be free from shackles of this world, I want to receive this Jesus, I, I want to be truly, truly free to rejoice life, to have life to the fullest, would you please raise up your hand wherever you may be? And can you pray with me this prayer? Jesus, I receive your forgiveness for all the things that I've done that's not from you. I embrace and receive your cross as my cross. I lay down my life. I surrender to you. All glory be to you forever. Church, can we pray? Jesus, thank you so, so much for your love that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And even today, you never stop pursuing those who have not yet to know you. But Lord, we thank you for the work on the cross that we are free, truly free now, that your cross is my cross, that we can say that your work is my work, that it's no longer about working, but truly surrendering our life to you. If you have made your decision to receive Christ into your life, we would love, we are super excited to hear from you. Please uh, drop us an email or message. Have a blessed day.